0: Love to Radio.
2: everybody doing today? How is everybody doing today? I have quite a show for you. Donald Trump decided to um, do a town hall. He went outside of his comfort zone, and by that I mean he went off of Fox News, and he went on to another network, ABC, and um, perhaps he shouldn't have, (laughs) because he made a fool of himself. He looks ridiculous. So, um, we're gonna. Ha- I got a bunch of stories on that, like three or four stories on that. Then we'll get into Joe Biden making a fool of himself, having another like Hillary Clinton Pokemon go to the polls type moment. There's a lot to say about that. The outlet Law and Crime released a bombshell story this week that everybody's talking about, involving um, ICE. So, I mean, this one was a little surprising, even though I have a thick skin. I follow this stuff all the time, but this one was a little surprising even to me, so you know it's bad, Um, and then later on in the show, we will get into the economic devastation caused by COVID, I got some new polling data for you on foreign policy and what the American people believe, so a lot of stuff to get to, let's get started, like I said, we'll do that with Trump's town hall, here we go. So President Trump did a town hall meeting on ABC with George Stephanopoulos, and he gave us a bunch of amazing moments. Here's one of the most jaw-dropping,
3: we have to be prepared for a possible second wave. I understand that you don't want to panic people. You said you want people to be calm. You've often talked about Winston Churchill and FDR, and, and they did reassure people. They were strong. They did keep people calm, but they also were straight. They said this war is going to be tough.
4: It's going to be a well, real fight. We have to persevere. So when Churchill was on the top of a building, and he said everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be calm. and you have the Nazis dropping bombs all over London. He was very brave because he was at the top of a building. He was very well-known that he was standing on buildings and they were bombing. And he says everyone's going to be safe. I don't think that's being necessarily honest, and yet I think it's being a great leader. But he said, you're going to be safe. Be calm. Don't panic. And you had bombers dropping bombs all over London. So I guess you could say that's not so honest but it's still great leader. Do you think it's okay to be dishonest? I'm not looking to be dishonest. I don't want people to panic, and we are going to be okay. We're going to be okay, and it is going away, and it's probably going to go away now a lot faster because of the vaccine. It would go away without the vaccine, George.
2: The thing about the Trump era that's so incredible is that everything's out in the open. Everything's out in the open. All the other presidents before him were practiced in doing the tap dancing BS to be president. Like they know how to, how to do the show, you know, have the veneer, have the facade, do the, do the kabuki theater, mimicking like you're serious people making serious decisions and, you know, you're on top of it all. With Trump, the, it, like all the dirty laundry is just aired out in the open. Like, these conversations are conversations that would have happened behind closed doors previously. Now he's like, he has to debate them openly. Well, actually, you know what, it it was happening behind the scenes, and then Bob Woodward released the tapes, which is now why we're having the conversation out in the open. But, I mean, look at the argument he's making. This is, I, I mean, this is incredible. He is proactively making an argument in favor of dishonesty. Basically what he's saying is, listen, sometimes in order to be a good leader, you got to not tell the truth. you got to not tell the truth. He goes on in another part in the town hall to say, like, I'm America's number one cheerleader. That's what I am. I'm America's number one cheerleader. But, like, again, even if you believe that, that's not something you should say out loud. Because nobody else other than the people who already love you are going to listen to you make an argument in favor of dishonesty and be like, yeah, I think he's got a good point there. Because most people want the truth to come first, the facts to come first. Tell me the reality of the situation, and then you can put you know, your little spin on it. You know, it's almost like, this is the way I like to think about it. It's almost like if you're playing a sport and you're, you're let's say basketball, for argument's sake, your team's down... 17 points at the beginning of the fourth quarter what do you say when you're having the conversation with the team and you're the coach before the fourth quarter do you say listen I like how my coach is now Trump listen what I want everybody to understand is you're winning you're not losing I think you're winning I think you're already winning I think that the fact that we're 17 points down Maybe the score is messed up and maybe that's actually not what the score is. Have you really been keeping track of every point every step of the way? I mean, I think I've been looking at it. And you know what? I think that we're winning, frankly. Many, many people are saying that we're actually winning. So is that, is that leadership? Is that like, you know, you being strong? No, that's you being a moron and denying objective reality. What a real leader can do and should do is say, hey, listen. We're 17 points down, but you have to keep your nose to the grindstone. You have to keep going after it. You have to fight and scratch and claw your way back by any means necessary. There's no more messing around. You give 100% effort and you leave it out there on the floor, and then if you give it everything you have, we can be up. We can come back. We can win this thing. See, there's, a, there's a, a categorical difference between lying about the nature of reality and accepting the nature of reality, and then, after you do that, putting your positive spin on it to try to fire people up. But Trump is just acting, he's arguing in favor of dishonesty. And then, you know he messed up, because when George Stephanopoulos pushed back a little bit and was like, so you're, you're saying it's okay to be dishonest, he's like, no, 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 I'm not saying that, that is exactly what you said, dude. This is the thing about Trump, he's so slippery. Like, he'll say something, and then you can accurately categorize what he said right back to him to his face. I didn't say that, yes you did, you did. And then he you know, tries to tap dance his way out of it and BS his way out of it. It's funny because just like Rand Paul said during the primary, uh, Trump is a truth teller without the truth. He's got the the feel of a truth teller because he's obviously shooting from the hip and he's impulsive and he's got no filter. But yeah, most of the stuff he says is total nonsense. He made an argument in favor of dishonesty. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to stress that anymore to you guys. Like to try to show you this is absurd. We've never seen anything like this. All the dirty laundry is aired out in the open now. And he was caught. He was caught in the tapes with Bob Woodward. By the way, I'm kind of surprised he didn't just go with the line of like, I didn't say that. <laughs> Because we've heard him do this before. He'll get caught on tape. And I'm like, I didn't say that. Like, there was, remember when he pretended to be his own publicist back in, like, the 80s? Yeah, my name is John Miller, and I have to say that this Trump guy is dating all these beautiful, wonderful, amazing women. I think he dated Madonna once. I think he went out with all these women. All these women want him. They keep throwing themselves at him. This is, what, this is what's going on. I'm Trump's publicist. I'm John Miller. And it was him, obviously, on the calls. And then they had him recorded. They played the recording, and he was like, that's not me. So I was half expecting that with Woodward he be like, no, I didn't say that, even though he said it. But no, what he's doing is, he's accepting that he said it, but he's going out there saying, no, it's the right thing. I did the right thing. I did the absolute right thing. Sure. I said, behind closed doors, that coronavirus is way worse than the flu. And then in public, I said, eh, it's just like the flu. But uh, it doesn't matter, because I didn't want to panic people. This is what strong leadership is. So strong leadership includes being dishonest. Here's the main point, guys. If there's anything you take away from this segment, let it be this. If Donald Trump is willing to lie about something as monumentally important as coronavirus, which killed 195,000 Americans as of right now. There's nothing he won't lie about. Because this is the most important issue facing the country, literally, number one in every poll. It's the most consequential thing happening to this nation. It is a life and death issue. It's a pandemic. It doesn't get any more serious than this. If he's willing to lie about this, there's nothing that he's not willing to lie about. Because he'll always rationalize it. He'll always spin it. If you think, hey, lying about this is part of leadership, then why wouldn't lying about health care be part of leadership? Why wouldn't lying about the economy be part of leadership? Right? And that's exactly what he does. He lies about these things all the time, but he tells himself, no, it's okay because this is what a good leader does. So, and we'll get to, you know, more stuff later, but, guys, 46% of the country is having, quote, serious financial problems. And Trump is going to swat all of that aside, and he's going to argue, stock market's doing wonderful, I think the economy's doing wonderful, we're setting records, this is incredible, nobody's ever seen anything like this. Now, in the past, I would have said, hey, maybe he's an idiot, and he doesn't realize the economy's bad. Now, knowing everything I know with what has happened recently, no, 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 Trump knows the economy's a mess. Trump knows people are struggling, but he will actively choose. He'll lie by omission and focus on whatever indicators he can to say things are going wonderful because this mindset is what he has on every issue across the board. Maybe, you know, maybe Churchill wasn't being exactly honest when he said what he said, It wasn't, be, but I still think it was good leadership. That's an argument in favor of lying to the public. That's what that is. And... If he's willing to lie about this, he's willing to lie about absolutely anything, and he very likely is. So just know what we're dealing with here. Just know what we're dealing with. This is a guy who is not, by any stretch of the imagination, committed to the truth. Honestly, that's probably like the number one value that I hold dear, is like just tell the truth. Just tell the truth. Even if I'm wrong and I tell you guys what I think the truth is, At least you know I'm I'm being honest and I was honestly incorrect about something, and then we can correct it. It's clear that is not a value he has at all. And I would argue any real leader needs to acknowledge what's happening, needs to acknowledge facts and reality, and then adjust accordingly. But if if you don't pass that, you're not passing the most basic test of leadership because you could just be an unscrupulous liar on everything, and rationalize it to yourself every night before you go to bed. Hey, it's okay that I lied because of reasons X, Y, and Z. Or you could just have a hard and fast rule, no lying. But no, that's gone. It really is amazing that he openly argued in favor of dishonesty. I've never seen anything like that before. And I don't know, like, there were a lot of moments that went viral from this town hall. This is not one of the moments. And I'm floored. And it's actually a little bit of a testament to how good of a BSer he is. Because that means that there are some people who watched it who were like, I guess I understand what he's saying. That's fair. But there are other points where they're like, oh, you know, everybody's going crazy and they're running the clips and they're like, this is insane. But they're not talking about this part. The facts have to come first. You can't override reality and then rationalize it later because then you're just a liar. You are just you are the definition of dishonest. That's what you are. And that's not a positive characteristic really according to anybody. Okay. Next. Now Trump is going to talk about masks. President Trump was asked about a potential national mask mandate on his ABC town hall with George Stephanopoulos. And here's how he handled it. I have a lot to say about this one.
0: The wearing masks has proven to lessen the spread of COVID. Um, why don't you support a mandate for national mask wearing?
4: And why don't you wear a mask more often? Well, I do wear them when I have to. I wear them in hospitals and other locations. But I I will say this. Uh, They said at the Democrat convention they're going to do a national mandate. They never did it because they've checked out and they didn't do it. And a a good question is you ask, like Joe Biden, they said we're going to do a national mandate on masks. He called on all governors to have them. Well, no, but he, he didn't do it. I mean, he never did it. Now, uh, there is, by the way, a lot of people don't want to wear masks. There are a lot of people think the masks are not good. And there are a lot of people that, as an example, you have those people. Well, I'll tell you who those people are. Waiters, they come over and they serve you and they have a mask. And I saw it the other day where they were serving me. And they're playing with a mask. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying what happens. They're playing with a mask, and so the mask is over, and they're touching it. And, put, and then they're touching the plate. And that can't be good. There are a lot of people, if you look at Dr. Fauci's original statement, you look at a lot of people, CDC, you look at a lot of people's original statement, they said very strongly, George, don't wear masks. Then all of a sudden they went to wear masks. The concept of a mask is good, but it also does, you're constantly touching it, you're touching your face, you're touching plates. There are people that don't think masks are good.
2: We've gotten used to Trump saying wild things and then that leading to endless media coverage where they're flipping out and their hair's on fire. We've gotten so used to that that sometimes we overlook stuff like this. And I would argue this is probably more important than a lot of what the media covers about what Trump says, because that answer is unacceptable. For the President of the United States of America. He's he's obfuscating about the utility of masks in the middle of a pandemic where nearly 200,000 Americans have died. Hey, some people like them, some people like them. Sometimes I wear them. So other people don't like them. You know, a lot of people say a lot of different things on masks. I mean, this is. I mean, that's objectively a stupid answer. That's what it is. That's a dumb thing to say. It's not up in the air as to whether or not masks help. Of course they help. And if we had them, if we had a universal mask mandate from the beginning of the pandemic, they've done studies on this. Way fewer people would have died. Way fewer. Again, look at the example of Japan, where they did some limited economic shutdowns early on, but they mostly stayed open with their economy. And basically the thing they had that made it so only a 1,000 people died from COVID early on was universal masks. Of course, if you wear masks, you're going to limit the spread of a virus because the way it spreads primarily is when people cough and you got the little droplets that get out there in the air and people, you know, ingest them, get them in their own body, and then we're off to the races. So this is not, like, it's not an open question. And he's acting like it is, which just means he's not dedicated to science. He's just not. And obviously he does the exact same thing on climate change where, you know, he's tweeted years ago that it's it's a Chinese hoax to destroy U.S. manufacturing or something to that effect. Like, you do not know on on science-related topics, you do not know better than scientists. You have to listen to the experts. You have to listen to the experts when it comes to stuff like public health. Now, he does bring up Early on, CDC and Fauci, they were saying, don't wear a mask, masks are not good. Yes, and see, that's the problem, is that they undermine trust in experts because they were wrong when they said that, and they were lying when they said that. Why did they say that? Well, they admit it now. We were afraid of a mask shortage for frontline workers, so we wanted the the public to not go buy all the masks because we need them for the frontline workers. So instead of telling people, hey, this is why we need the masks, they could have been honest and said that, they didn't, they lied and said, mm, masks don't work. And so now you've got these things that people will hold on to and act like, see, who really knows? The experts said previously this, and now they're saying this. And I got some doctors who say, wear masks. And I got other crank doctors, just like the people who are funded by ExxonMobil who say climate change isn't real. Now I got, you know, people who are arguing that masks aren't real. The same cranks, you could find, you could find somebody to make any argument. There's always gonna be a handful. But yes, this split is probably 97% to 3% in the medical community and among scientists that masks work. Now Trump is the kind of person to find any, somebody in that 3% and amplify their voice. And I don't know how else to say this guys, but so many people died because Trump, even if he didn't do a national mask mandate, but he was aggressive in embracing them early on and kept doing it, I think that would have saved lives. I really wish at the beginning of this pandemic that Trump slapped some Trump logos on masks and started selling them to everybody and started saying, look, these are, this is what you have to do. If you love America, if you're patriotic, you will wear a mask. We this, this is how we stop this virus. This is how we fight back. We're waging a war on the virus. And rule number one is we're going to wear our masks, folks. And if he wore it everywhere he went, I really think so many lives could have been saved if he did that. But he didn't do that, and he doesn't believe in science, and so he's not sure what he believes on masks, and so he's obfuscating, and in the middle of a pandemic, he's out there raising doubt about the efficacy of masks. I really do think, I really do think this is one of those issues where it's hurting him electorally. Electorally? Electorally, however you say it. I really think this is hurting him, because COVID is the number one issue in every poll that the American people care about. And he's gotten terrible grades on COVID. People are like, he's not handling it well. And he's not. If he's handling it well, you wouldn't have nearly 200,000 dead Americans. You just wouldn't. So when people hear this, I do think most Americans, basically all Democrats, and then the majority of independents and the majority of like apolitical people, they hear him say stuff like this and they know like, oh, he's, He's just an idiot, and he doesn't believe in science, and what he's saying is ridiculous. Yes, there are that, you know, his 35% base is going to defend him no matter what, but I think the overwhelming majority of Americans are like, really? In the middle of a pandemic, you're going to raise doubts about the efficacy of masks? I really do think most people understand that the science has settled on this and that what he's saying is ridiculous. Um, now, he brought up, oh, you know, Biden wants to do a national mask mandate, but he hasn't, he hasn't done it. He's not president what do you mean? What does that even mean? What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) He wants to do a national mask mandate, but he hasn't done it. He's not in a position to do it. He's not president. But beyond that, Biden hasn't even said that. Biden said he would tell each state that you guys should do universal masks. I don't know if he doesn't think that the federal government has the authority or if he just has that conservative mindset of like, you know, relegate this stuff to the states. But whatever it is, he said, I would do a national mask mandate, only in so far as I would tell the states, the governors need to demand it. So, you know, that's probably not enough either, but it's definitely a step better than Trump. And then look at the example he gave when he's trying to talk about how, you know, there are problems with masks. He talks about, like, a waiter serving people and touching the mask, and then, like, I don't care what kind of scenario you concoct in your head that's totally made up, hypothetical, and anecdotal. At the end of the day... The science does not back what you're saying, that it's somehow equally dangerous to wear a mask. I mean, this is what Louis Gomert said. You know, he thought that he got COVID because when he did wear his mask, he didn't wear a mask a lot, but when he did wear a mask, he said, Oh, I would take it off and maybe breathe in. As I'm taking it off, I would maybe breathe in whatever's on the mask. And so wearing the mask is what gave me COVID. I always find it amazing when people. People think that when they do these highfalutin rationalizations for these dumb positions, that that makes them smart. I don't care if you give me a a four-and-a-half-minute explanation and rationalize it a thousand ways as to why you think masks don't work. They do work. And so you're you're using a lot of energy and brain power to do mental gymnastics and jujitsu to get yourself to believe that, oh, it's better to not wear a mask. But that doesn't make you intelligent. That makes you a jackass. And you're also wasting your time coming up with these silly explanations, which are not accurate. So, but anyway, this is the president of the United States, and I really do feel like stuff like this hurts him in the polls. Because this isn't the answer of a serious person. It really isn't. Like, any reasonable person would be like, yeah, I looked at the evidence, the evidence is clear, masks help, Why are we even debating this, you know? But he didn't do a mask mandate early on. He's waffled on the efficacy of them. And so these questions are all fair game. And the more he talks about COVID, I do think the more it helps Biden. Because this stuff, I think, is unacceptable to most Americans. All right, I got more for you from the town hall. This time it's on health care. President Trump was asked a question about health care and pre-existing conditions at his ABC town hall. And um, the back and forth was sheer madness. This is a great question. And then he doesn't handle it well. And then George Stephanopoulos jumps in and lands some gut punches on Trump, which are totally fair game because he's making good, accurate points. But the way Trump handles this, it's just abysmal.
3: I a
0: disease called sarcoidosis, and from the day I was born, I was considered uninsurable. That disease uh, started in my skin, moved to my eyes, into my optic nerves, and when I went to graduate school, into my brain. When it hit my brain, I was automatically eligible for disability for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I chose instead to get a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, a PhD, and become a professor. Sweet. It is great, except I still have similar health care problems. It cost me with copays, I'm still paying almost seven thousand dollars a year in addition to the copay, and should pre existing conditions which Obamacare brought into uh, brought to fruition be removed? No, without please stop and let me finish my question, sir. Should that be removed within a thirty six to 72 hour period without my medication, I will be dead. And I wanna know what it is that you're gonna do to assure that people like me who work hard, we do everything we're supposed to do, can stay insured. It's not my fault that I was born with this disease. It's not my fault that I'm a black woman and in the medical community, I'm minimized and not taken seriously.
4: I wanna know what you are going to do about that. So, first of all, I hope you are taken seriously. I hope you are. And we are not going to hurt anything having to do with pre existing conditions. We're not going to hurt pre existing conditions. And, in fact, just the opposite. If you look at what they want to do, where they have socialized medicine, they will get rid of pre existing conditions. If they go into Medicare for All, which is socialized medicine, and you can forget about your doctors and your plans, just like you could forget under. President Obama, he said, you can have your doctor, you can have your plan, and that turned out to be a lie. And he said it 28 different times, at least. We have 28 different times. You can have your doctor, you can have your plan. Well, it's not true. But what we're doing is we're going to be doing a health care plan, pre existing, protecting people with pre existing conditions. As an example, yourself, it sounds like that's exactly perfect. That's exactly what we're talking about. We're going to be doing a health care plan very strongly and protect people with pre-existing conditions. I will say this, they will not
3: do that because because they have socialized- socialized I I did have to stop you there, because it's just on a couple of points. Number one, Joe Biden has ran against Medicare for all in the primaries, but much more importantly, Obamacare guaranteed people with pre-existing conditions could buy insurance. Guaranteed they could buy it at the same price as everyone else, guaranteed a package of essential benefits, guaranteed that insurance companies couldn't put a lifetime limit on those benefits. You fought to repeal Obamacare. You are arguing... essentially well, you, you are you're you're arguing are the Supreme Court right mental. now to strike it down. That would do away with pre-existing no. conditions oh, so you we can do new health care. But you've been promising a new health care plan. We interview, I interviewed you in June of last year. You said the health care plan would come in two weeks. You told Chris Wallace that this would come in three weeks. You promised an executive order. I
4: have it already. But you've been trying to strike down a I have it already, and it's a much better plan for you, and it's a much better plan, George. uh, It's been 40 years since you had good health care. You never really had good health care in this country. This country has never had it. But when you say that uh, Biden doesn't want to do it, everybody else does. Bernie does. He agreed to the manifesto, as I call it, the agreement with Bernie, is that you're going to go to socialized medicine. Randy, again. if you go to socialized medicine, well, they, he agreed. And Harris, who he today said Harris Biden because he thinks she's president, Harris, and someday you'll have to explain that one to me, but Harris is all for doing that. She wants to go to socialized medicine. So you no longer have your doctor really, and you no longer have your plan.
2: I think this is a giant mistake from Trump. I really do. I really do. In 2016, he was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and he said, under me, everybody's going to be covered. Everybody's going to be covered. And then the, you know, the host asked, what if they can't afford it? And Trump was like, government's going to pay for it. It's gonna be co- everybody's going to be covered under, under me, my administration, my plan. So he was, in effect, arguing for universal health care, for Medicare for all. Now, of course, he was BSing, don't get it twisted, and half the time he would do talking points that are the polar opposite, but there, was, there were a number of times, pre-2016, where Trump openly argued, I think the Scottish system is better than our system, you know, my friend went there, he broke an arm, he got it fixed, didn't cost him anything, it's wonderful, why can't we do like the Canadian system? He praised the Australian system. Like, there are a number of instances where he was like, I think everybody should be covered. And that's like, duh, if you're a politician, you want to solidly be on the side of everybody deserves coverage. Now, because he's so deep in that right wing bubble and he's so brainwashed, he's going out there and openly arguing against Medicare for all and thinking that it'll help him. Dude, there's a pandemic out there. Tens of millions of Americans don't have health care. Of course, Americans want Medicare for all. What was the recent poll? I think it was like 69% of the country. Don't make a joke. I think it's that high now. Even there's some polls where it's even a majority of Republicans, or at the very least a plurality, that want Medicare for all. Because guess what? People like Medicare. It polls. It's very popular in the polling. So if you add the words for all, then people think, oh, that means I would get Medicare. That'd be awesome. He's preaching to the Hannity audience and doesn't realize that's alienating most people. When we have a, we have a pandemic and tens of millions of people don't have health care and medical bankruptcy is one of the top causes of bankruptcy, you can't just go out there and casually argue against universal health care and think that this is some sort of political benefit for you. It's an obvious liability. Now, I, we got to dive into the substance of it. Of course, George Stephanopoulos is correct. Biden's not for Medicare for all. I mean, I wish he was, but he's not. It's hilarious that Trump is still trying to... Like, Trump is arguing, oh, yeah, well, my opponent has an incredibly popular position. What do you think about that? Thank you for, for helping your opponent by saying stuff like this. Again, it's stuff like this. This is why Trump is down. His 2016 strategy was Hillary Clinton is corrupt. Hillary Clinton outsourced your job. Hillary Clinton, you know, is for all these wars. She's the representative of the status quo. I'm the outsider. I'll shake things up and I'll fight for you. That was 2016. 2020, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Biden's Antifa. Biden's a Marxist. Biden wants everybody to have health care. I definitely don't want everybody to have health care. What are you doing? What are you doing? You sound like a total moron. Okay. And there's a lot of stuff he's just factually wrong about there. Like he talks about, oh, we're going to protect you, protect you, your pre-existing conditions. We're going to protect you. As George Stephanopoulos points out. His administration is currently suing to strike down all of Obamacare. That includes the protections for pre-existing conditions. Then the next point is, you know, he talks about, I'm going to have amazing health here. It's going to be the greatest health care ever. We already had this battle. We already had this fight. You guys remember it was a few years ago now. They proposed, Trump proposed a health care plan. And it was so bad. And there were so many loopholes. And so many people would be uncovered. It had like a 20% approval rating. It was wildly unpopular. So he's acting like what? So now you have a new plan that you didn't show us yet, and this new plan is going to pass? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And then there were just flat-out lies about Medicare for all in there. Imagine being so stupid. This is like when the Republicans came out with that new talking point. Medicare for all is Medicare for none. What?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That makes no sense.
2: Medicare for all means Medicare for everybody in the country. Medicare for all. I think that's Medicare for none. That's like if you go to an elementary school, first graders, and you give the first graders shoes for everybody in the class, and you hand them over to them, sneakers for them. Here are some gym sneakers for everybody. It's a gift. It's like saying, oh, yeah, I think giving sneakers to all is like giving sneakers to none
3: they all have sneakers
2: what that doesn't mean anything you're just taking it and arguing the opposite of what happened (laughs) what are you doing so anyway this is like that point when he says you medicare for all is the democrats want to get rid of protections for pre-existing conditions the democrats want to do that that's what medicare for all would do that's what socialized medicine would do no under medicare for all just like every other universal health care system in the developed world if you're sick, you get help, and that's it. You don't have to pay anything out of pocket. No premiums, no co no deductibles. Everything's taken care of. Why would there be no protections for people with pre-existing conditions under Medicare for All? Everybody in the country is covered under Medicare for All. Everybody, for all, for all. If everybody's covered, everybody who has a pre-existing condition is covered. And by the way, they'll get better health care, and it costs less. It saves trillion over the course of a decade. You want to know why? Because when you get rid of the unnecessary for-profit mafia middleman, you tend to save money. Nobody's taking their cut. There's nobody in between you and your doctor to take a cut. And he says, oh, forget about your doctor and forget about your plan under Medicare for All. No, don't forget about your doctor because you can pick whatever doctor you want, whoever you want. Right now, you can't pick whatever doctor you want. The system we have now, you cannot pick whatever doctor you want. You have to find one that's in-network. I know all too well, because I couldn't go to the doctor I wanted to go to, because my health insurance, the doctor wasn't in-network. So you don't even have freedom of choice now. You don't have freedom of choice to pick your doctor now. And then the thing about your plan, you're not going to get to keep your plan. Good! Who loves their health insurance plan? Nobody I know. How insane is it that we even have healthcare plans? What does that mean, healthcare plan? You only want certain things covered and other things not covered? What do you want to cover? Hey, if I get cancer, cover that. If I get heart disease, do not cover that. What is this? No, it's health care. Everything should be covered. Full stop. Everything should be covered. It's amazing how in his own bubble he is. But the thing that's going to frustrate me more than ever is that just kind of like George Stephanopoulos did there, the Democrats will run away from the popular position. That's what they're going to do, bro. They're going to run away from the popular position. They're going to, and uh, there was a great, like, Internet hippo tweet about this where he was like, yeah, Trump is going to accuse Biden of being in favor of cool things, and Biden's going to be like, I'm, no, I'm not. Trump is going to say... Biden wants to cover more people with health care. He definitely does. And Biden's like, no, you have my word under my administration. Not a, not a single person will get more health care coverage. That's kind of like what's happening. No, no, I'm not for the popular thing. I'm not for Medicare for all. That's not what I'm for. No, definitely not. The, the fun, it's hilarious watching the raw aggression of Republicans. Sometimes it works for them well. Other times, in an instance like this, where Trump is leaning into the unpopular position, people are going to be like, I want health care. Bashing socialized medicine. It would be lovely if we had it. The best health care system in the world, at least according to some objective studies on this, is the UK system. That's fully socialized. Public funding of public institutions. The doctors are all hired by the government. You know, The French system is more of a mix like private institutions and hospitals and care providers, but public funding. The most socialized system in the world is the one that's the best, according to some studies. By the way, we're 11th out of 11, according to the Commonwealth Fund. So they study this. All the relevant, you know, ways you would measure how good a healthcare system is. We're 11th out of 11. So we're the worst in the developed world when it comes to health care. Um, I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. Trump, one of the worst areas in Trump's residency is health care, for sure. Because he did. He got rid of the individual mandate. He's done a number of executive orders that effectively destroy Obamacare. And as a result of that, even before COVID hit, even before COVID hit, you had 7 million to 9 million Americans lose their health insurance. They had it before Trump. They didn't after Trump and during Trump, I should say. So, I mean, like... Probably the most important measure of success on the issue of health care is what happened under your presidency. Did the number of people with health care stay the same? Did it go up? Did it go down? It plummeted. It went way down under Trump. And then forget it. After COVID happened. And, and these companies are, are getting wealthy. The health insurance companies are getting rich off this. You would think like, oh, my God, they're going broke. No. They're getting wealthy off of COVID. This is how perverse the incentive structure is in the system. This got me so triggered. The answer is Medicare for All. It always will be. We see the data. We see the evidence. Why do we act like we don't live on planet Earth where we've had a number of experiments around the world with various healthcare systems? Why do we act like that? Why do we act like that? Like, we can look around the world and see what's working and what's not working and what people do, and we can learn from it. In America, we disregard all of that and have this debate very narrowly on the far right edge of the Overton window. And it's just, it's a, it's a mess. It's ridiculous. This got me so triggered, this back and forth. It got me so triggered. And I think the saddest part is that Trump is insane. Everything he says is absurd. But, like, Biden's going to run away from Medicare for all. He's not for it for, at best, a public option, but they're even backing off of that and just vaguely expand Obamacare, which means basically do dick. Even under his ideal plan, he says he wants to cover 97% of Americans. What about the other 3%? Eh, fuck them. So ain't nobody coming to save you. We got to save ourselves, which means we got to get in the streets, we got to do a general strike, and we got to have clear demands. One of those demands should be Medicare for all. Okay, next. President Trump made a pretty big mistake here in terms of strategy for the 2020 campaign. Um, I think that this instinct highlights why his 2020 chances are not nearly as good as they were in 2016. By oh, way, he looks like a Yeti, doesn't he? He stands like a... <laughs> we're standing very normally today, folks. That's what we do. We love to stand normally. <laughs> Yeti man. And George Stephanopoulos really is tiny. He is very tiny. But anyway, um, so here's Trump. They talk about the economy. Look at the argument he makes.
3: The super venus for a lot of people look at this and say it's more like a k-shaped recovery the people at the top who have a lot of stocks are, are doing pretty well are yeah, doing well, well. It, it, it. but but, but, but we've we we only gotten it. half
4: the jobs back george stocks are owned by everybody i mean you know if they talk about the stock market is so good that's 401ks i'm meeting people with as long as they didn't sell when the market went down when we first realized the you know extent of this horrible thing from china I mean these people are doing some of them are doing better than they were doing before the pandemic came. If they if if they held onto their stocks and remember this because I notice you say wealthy, sure wealthy, but you have people that aren't wealthy but have done well because of the stock market.
2: Not good. This is not gonna land, my dude. This is not gonna land. Nobody's watching this and nodding in agreement except the hardcore Trump base. And even they might have a moment of pause and be like, I'm not being helped right now. So the reason why the stock market is still doing okay is because it was basically fully socialized. The Fed was like, we're just not going to let you fail. We're not going to let – we're not even going to let you go down. We're going to do everything we can to prop you up. So that means – and this is what's happening at the height in like – I think it was March or April – when the market was plummeting and everything was falling apart, they were doing a trillion dollars a day of quantitative easing, which is, again, just basically pumping money into the market. A trillion dollars
4: a day, a day, a day.
2: Free college for the whole country costs $60 billion a year. They can't afford that. But a trillion dollars a day in quantitative easing? Sure, go right ahead. So they basically fully socialized the market. And now he's bragging about the market. Well, guess what, guys? And you're not going to be surprised to hear this, but some people would be surprised to hear this. That's only a reflection of how the corporations and the wealthy are doing. So the top 1% owns 50% of the stocks. 1% owns half the stocks. The top 10% owns 84% of all stocks. So, yes, this is a reflection of how the wealthy are doing. Duh. It's a reflection of how the corporations are doing. And that's why you fully socialized it. Because you said, hey, we're bought and owned by corporations, so we're always going to save them. I not going to save the American people. We'll give you a one-time stimulus check of a measly $1,200, and you can piss right off after that. So, but to brag about this is so tone-deaf. So tone-deaf. See, again, Trump 2016, make America great again. Things are a mess. We've got to come in. We've got to fix it. We've got to fight the establishment. Now, since he is the establishment, he's like, isn't everything wonderful? I think everything's wonderful. Isn't the stock market great? I think the stock market is doing tremendous. And I think that's reflective of how your average American is doing. We just covered the NPR poll. 46% of Americans say they're in, quote, serious financial problems. Serious financial problems. 46%. That's half the country struggling to pay the bills. You remember, a few months ago, what well, was it, 31%, 32% didn't make their rent payment? These are numbers we've never seen before. We basically have 20% real unemployment. We have an eviction crisis, which is only temporarily being put off by these, this amalgamation of state moratorium, moratoriums on evicting people. But as soon as those run out, we're going to have a homelessness crisis the likes of which we've never seen. We have, what, about 500,000 homeless people right now? There was one article that said 28 million people are on the brink of homelessness. 28 million. To, to deflect and obfuscate from the nature of reality right now is political suicide. That's like FDR, you know, when he ran for president and during the Great Depression and he's acting like, There's no depression. What are you talking about? Everything's fine. I don't think he would have won if that was the message. He had to be like, yes, it's happening, and here's exactly what we're going to do to fight it. And here are the people stopping me from from taking it on, and I welcome their hatred. This is just like bury your head in the sand and pretend like everything is already okay, and you wonder why he's down massively. A ham sandwich would be beating Trump right now, for sure, because he's all over the place. He has no coherent message, and half the time he acts like they are, we already succeeded. Everything's everything's good already. Forget the fact that half the country is having serious financial problems. People can't make rent. What was it? Thirty million Americans? Something like that uh, were food insecure. Tens of millions of Americans didn't have enough to eat. I saw the lines for unemployment in Kentucky. I saw you know the lines for food banks down the block, endless. And he's out there bragging about the stock market? What happened to your political instincts, you dipshit? God damn it, man. Wow. Oh, Christ, man. This is crazy. This is crazy. So anyway, Biden doesn't have to say anything or do anything. He's going to be the beneficiary of this. this This is so disconnected. It's like legendary levels of disconnected. You know, this is... He sounds like any standard politician, and that's not going to work for him. His appeal came from not being a standard politician. Now he sounds like a standard politician. America's already great. Stock market's doing great, so, you know, regular people are doing great. People are doing worse than they have since the Great Depression. Let that sink in. Worse since the Great Depression. You can't just override that and pretend like that's not the case, and that's exactly what he's trying to do. Okay, next. Joe Biden had another viral moment. This time, it's with his pathetic attempt at Hispanic outreach. Here's what happened.
4: I just have one thing to say.
0: Hang
3: on there.
4: <laughs> All
0: right.
4: Hold well.
3: Thanks for the bit. There. Come on. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what.
4: If I had to tell of to any one of these people, I'd be, I'd be friends by
3: acclamation. <laughs>
2: How do you do, fellow Hispanics? Or shall I call you Latinos or Latinas or Latinx? I will say and do whatever you want me to if you vote for me. I won't actually give you health care. No. I won't actually do a Green New Deal. No. But I will uh, play Despacito on my phone for you. Oh, I hate this so much. I hate this so much. Politicians always appeal to people through culture when they can't appeal to you through policy. And that's Democrats and Republicans. They will always appeal to you with culture when they can't appeal to you through policy. And that's where we are. This is, you know what this reminded me of? That Hillary Clinton, I carry hot sauce in my purse, fellow blacks. Do the blacks like me? Are you going to vote for me? I carry hot sauce in my purse. When she was on with Charlemagne the God. It was such an obvious pandering moment that everybody was like, oh, don't tell me you or again, this is like a Pokemon go to the polls type moment or Biden and Kamala just getting in whatever video game that was where they're in it. They will, they will give you whatever they think you want on culture and on symbolism. I fully expect at some point for, for Joe Biden to take a knee and put a fist up and say black lives matter at some point In this campaign, he'll do that if he hasn't already done it, and I just missed it. Because he'll be like, whatever you want, as long as we can keep the status quo going as it is. As long as corporations can keep ripping people off. As long as the military-industrial complex can move along without a hitch. And people get very, very rich off of endless war. Wars, plural. as long as his buddies on Wall Street keep getting wealthy, he's like, I'll say it, do whatever you want. I'll wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. I'll do whatever you want. Despacito, I'll play it on my phone. I'll sing it. I'll learn the lyrics and I'll sing it. I'll dance. You want me to salsa, bitch? I'll salsa for you. And I, I despise this. I despise this. And the other thing is, if they don't recognize now how serious a moment this is historically, not just because of Trump, but because of everything happening in the country between COVID and the economy imploding, worse since the Great Depression. If they don't take this seriously now, they will never, under any circumstances, take it seriously. Because 46% of Americans are having, quote, serious financial problems. Serious financial problems. That's half the country can't pay the bills. So you know what that means? If that number went up to 60%, if that number went up to 85%, Biden would be running the exact same campaign. Because there's no sense of urgency, because he is in his little bubble, disconnected from the pain of real people. And so he's running as if the year is 1996. That's how he's acting. Like, it's 1996. They're all... Trump is acting like this, and Biden is acting like this. They're acting like we're not in a new Great Depression because of COVID, when we are. They're acting like we don't have a pandemic that killed 200,000 Americans. Vapid cultural appeals. Are you kidding me? And then, by the way, we'll get to a story later. They're not accepting blame for the fact that Biden's not doing too well with Hispanic voters. Well, let's see. Who did well with them in the primary? Bernie. What did Bernie do? Talk directly to them and talk directly to their material well-being and interests. Working class people. Hey, I'm pro-union. I'm going to get you health care. I'm going to get you higher wages. This is what it took. But those are the things Biden is not in favor of. So what does he do? It's all cultural nonsense. Despacito. Oh, it's not going to stop, man. It's not going to stop. Expect this nonsense to continue. And it will get me pissed every single time. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'd rather you do nothing than do the pandering, the condescending pandering, where you try to appeal over cultural issues. You're You're not our friend. You're not our buddy. You're not cool. We want health care. We want health care and we want to end the wars and we want to rebuild the country and we want people to not die in the pandemic. This is what we want. No more how do you do, fellow kids. How do you do, fellow Hispanics. I can't. I can't deal with this. man. I... And you wonder why. The largest voting block in the country is people who don't vote. You wonder why? Because most people are normal people who look at the actions of a guy like Trump and now a guy like Biden and they're like, this is fucking gross. I want nothing to do with these people. Oh, thank you for playing a song that's popular on your phone in attempt to reach out to people. Mr. I voted for the Iraq war and NSA spying in the Patriot Act and outsourcing deals like NAFTA. Thank you. Very kind of you. Hopefully, the song that you played on your phone overrides some of the pain that was caused by the war that killed 200,000 innocent civilians in a country that didn't attack us. Okay. All right, I got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into the ICE scandal it's a big one. You don't want to miss it. Stay right there. We back, and I still got plenty of stories to dump inside your cranium. So get ready. And it's about to get very serious in here with this next one. All right, here we go. The outlet Law and Crime released a bombshell story this week that really went viral on Twitter for a number of reasons. So here's BBC's summary of it. They say the following. Advocacy groups have filed a complaint against a migrant detention center in the U.S. alleging medical neglect and lack of virus safety measures. The complaint condemns the practices and conditions at the private Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. It is based on the allegations of a whistleblower, a nurse identified as Dawn Wooten. She works at at the center, which houses immigrants detained by Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE. As part of her complaint filed on Monday, Ms. Wooten expressed concerns about the high number of hysterectomies performed on Spanish-speaking women at the center. The nurse said detained women told her they did not fully understand why they had to get a hysterectomy an operation involving the removal of all or part of the uterus. The complaint also alleges jarring medical neglect during the coronavirus pandemic, including a refusal to test detainees with symptoms and fabricating medical records. Whoa. Whoa. So this is wild. Now, one of the stories that, It was released, I don't know, maybe three years ago now, something like that, about ICE that has always stuck with me, and I couldn't understand for the life of me why it wasn't a bigger story, is that there were allegations of slavery going on at some ICE detention centers. And now, I totally understand if your initial reaction to hearing that is like, that seems far-fetched, because my reaction was that too but I believe it was the Washington Post who reported on it, there's a court case over it. ICE is being sued because people are saying there's slavery happening and they tell you the facilities. And then it, it went to court and a court said, yes, there is merit to the claims here that ICE is basically doing forced labor of people. I mean, and if you really think about it, we have slavery in our prison system, and ICE detention centers, I mean, it's not like they treat these people as if they have human rights and constitutional rights. They're more than willing to treat them terribly in the first place. So is it really that much of a leap to think making them work? They're doing slavery? It's forced labor? I don't think it's that much of a leap. So ever since I read that story, I always thought like, oh, I get it. Like, I get it when people do the whole abolish ICE thing. Now, I don't think it's, it's, it's as big of an electoral winner. Why can't I say the word electoral? 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 I don't think it's as big of a winner um, and, and as popular of a position for Democrats on the left as many people think. And, in fact, the polls show that that's actually not a popular position. That doesn't mean it's not the correct position. But it does mean maybe that's not what you lean into um, when you're you're running elections. But just so everybody understands, ICE was created in 2003. So it's very, very new. It's not like, oh, my God, without it, there's no border enforcement or no border protection. It's not true at all. Customs and border protection, they already protect the border. So it's kind of a duplicative, um, you know, agency. But there's also claims of widespread abuse. Forced labor. And now we get the story that they're doing forced hysterectomies? Now, I will say there, there are competing narratives on this. So obviously the thing that Twitter is latching onto is they think the forced hysterectomies, it's like almost like a eugenics program being carried out by the government, where they're like, mm, poor brown women, let's stop them from reproducing. So that's, you know, the, the angle of it that's really blown up on social media, where people are making the comparisons to, you know, Nazi doctors who did the same thing, who would do, like, these eugenics programs. But now there's new evidence that just came out that the, the doctor who's performing this, he has, like, a history of fraud, and so another interpretation is he's just literally doing all these different unnecessary procedures to try to get more money out of the U.S. government. So that's the other interpretation, is that it's kind of just fraudulent fraudulent attempt for this doctor who's sketchy to make more money. Now, if you say, well, why hysterectomies? A few people pointed this out. If they really were to carry out some sort of mass eugenics uh, program here, it's much easier to just put cheap IUDs in them and be done with it. Um, So I don't, listen, I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly what went on or why it went on. All I know is, even if you put aside the most incendiary claims here, the fact that there's outright medical neglect in many instances and people with COVID are being denied treatment or, or, or tests and there's fabricating of medical records and, you know, the widespread abuse angle is, is enough to say, holy crap, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? You immediately need to do humane reform at the border. You have to create a system that's not brutal and barbaric and disgusting and unfair. You have to embrace human rights and constitutional rights. And this is not to say... It's not to just blame Trump. A lot of people might not know that those cages that everybody screams about babies being put in cages now, they were built by Barack Obama and Joe Biden. So it's not. there's plenty of blame to go all around here. But, I mean, the bottom line is from this story, even the kindest interpretation of like, oh, it wasn't a eugenics program, it was just run-of-the-mill fraud where a doctor is trying to get paid more, even that's horrendous and unacceptable and not okay and shouldn't have been allowed to happen in the first place you know? And but it, is it possible that the harshest interpretation is what's happening here? Yes. <laughs> of course it's possible. Of course it's possible. You know, there's a there's a dark dark history of western governments doing stuff like this to people who they view as the undesirables. And we could ignore that history, but you're just ignoring reality. I'd like to think that we've evolved past that, um, but who the hell knows? Who the hell knows? So, listen, I do think we do need more information on this, um, but I will say that one of the articles points out that they they verified this story with a number of people who were there. Independently confirmed it, I believe, is the, the term that they used, where... There, there would even be a language gap. There'd be like a language barrier. And then they would just do the, do all these surgeries. And then the, after the fact, it wouldn't be like, well, I don't, why did I need the things that they just did? I don't understand. And so, you know, either it's fraudulent or it's even more nefarious. And they don't want poor brown women having babies, which is eugenics. Or it's both. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but either way, it's unacceptable and it's disgusting and it goes hand in hand with horrendous treatment of immigrants at the border. And listen, I'm not I'm not of the, the philosophy that any and all discussion of having borders, having a process uh, by which people come into the country, having a system in place where you make decisions. And you prioritize who's allowed in, who's not allowed in, and all this stuff. I'm not one of the lefties who says, like, all borders are evil and bigoted by definition. Uh, I'm not for open borders. But I do think that you, you need borders, but you also need humane treatment of all human beings that embraces human rights and constitutional rights and is a fair, just process. And let's be honest, a lot of the people who are coming here from Central America, South America, Mexico, in many instances, these countries are destroyed in part because of actions the U.S. has taken or the drug war, for example, which has ravaged and and made a lot of these states basically narco-terror states, you know, and then they escape that to come here, and then we say, go screw yourself, we don't want you. Okay, well then, stop doing the drug war. Stop destroying a lot of these countries or at least participating in doing that. If you stop doing that, if, if you give people a reason to want to stay in their countries, my guess is they'll want to stay in their countries. Who really wants to up and leave everything they've ever known? Who really wants to do that? I think it's very few people. So a lot of these people are here out of necessity, whether it's refugees or immigrants. Um, and so we need to take that into consideration. That doesn't mean you let everybody in. you know. That doesn't mean that, you know, you don't have background checks. Of course you could have background checks. Any country could have background checks. Um, but you've got to be reasonable about it, and you've got to draw a line in a, in a sane place, and you have to be humane. And unfortunately, the United States, often we lose our humanity when it comes to these wars we fight, the interventions we do, the bombings we do, and, yes, our immigration policy and our border. And, um, I mean, this really is, is disturbing stuff That is coming out here. Uh, I'll be very interested to see what other information comes out of these leaks and from this whistleblower, but this alone is really, really scary stuff. Okay. All right, let's continue. Not to pat myself on the back too hard here, but I warned you that social media censorship would always, always, always be flipped back on the left, and one could even argue that that, that's the primary goal of social media censorship, is you want to go after the anti-establishment voices who question the status quo, and who really questions the status quo? The left. The left. The right, even though, you know, there's, there's different ideological strains on the right, many of them are power-serving fundamentally. So that's not, it's not a bit as big of a, a threat to the powers that be compared to the left. So here we go. Everybody's been asking for it. Now here it is. Violent memes and messages Surging on far-left social media, a new report finds. Such images have increased, raising once again whether social media companies can keep up with threats on their platforms. So, look at the framing. Look at the framing. Oh, can the companies keep up with the threats? Well, gosh, I, I know they're doing something. Maybe they should do more. They should do a lot more to really get this under control. This is getting out of hand. This is dangerous. They better act. See, this all this has been happening nonstop in the media. They prod Facebook. They prod Twitter. They prod every social media company that's, that's a decent-sized platform. They want them to do a little more censorship, do a little more deplatforming, make it a little more safe. And the end goal, what's the end goal always, especially in the case of YouTube? Oh, you guys have a problem with this fringe content. What if I wrote a 1,000 articles about that and tried to get advertisers to run away from you? Oh, look, the advertisers are running away from you? Well, maybe you can prioritize our content, and then the advertisers would come back. And that's what happens. They shove CNN down your throat. They shove MSNBC and Fox down your throat, ABC, CBS, the nightly news, all the safe mainstream media options. The stuff you ran away from to go to the Internet because it's interesting and free Now, the old guard is elbowing their way back in the room, and you guys have experienced it. I've heard from a million of you this story. Like, yeah, I'd sit there, all I do is watch you and, like, two or three other lefty commentators, and I put it on autoplan, I hop in the shower, and it always goes from you to a mainstream media video. You to a mainstream media video. Always. listen, you're lucky if you get any recommended videos of Secular Talk. Now, some people who've been watching the show for a long time, they will keep getting the recommendeds of me. You want to know something crazy? We know, as a matter of fact, they try to bury it for new people. So my stuff doesn't... If 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 you're already part of the club, yes, you might get some recommendeds of me. New people almost never see recommendeds of Secular Talk, ever. Which is why the rate of growth of this channel has slowed colossally. It's, there, there's definitely a hierarchy of, uh, that the algorithm has, and some channels are, are recommended more than others. So, you know, David Pakman and I have always ha- had a very similar-sized channel. Now he just hit a million subscribers. By the way, congratulations to him for doing that. That's awesome. I'm really happy for him. and He's a nice guy. We were always neck and neck, and then, boom, he took off and went way by me. Why? Well, one of the reasons is the algorithm hates me. (laughs) I'm not exactly... It's not that he's safe, but it's definitely that I'm more obnoxious and louder and curse more and say things that are edgier. And yeah, so the algorithm is not going to like me. And this is the same thing as screaming off the page when you read this article. So let me give you some more of what they say here. Comments using anti-police slogans surged nearly 300% on Reddit and more than 1000% on Twitter during the unrest triggered by the killing of George Floyd in May according to the report it also described the growth of left-wing networks on Facebook such as groups with groups with such groups excuse me as Redneck Revolt and the Socialist Rifle Association boasting 50,000 and 40,000 members respectively numbers that still pale in comparison to right-wing communities online quote We don't know enough about it to know just how dangerous it is, and we don't know enough to know how dangerous it can become, said Joel Finkelstein, a co-author of the report and executive director of the Network Contagion Research Institute based in New Jersey. Its funders include George Soros' Open Society Foundations as well as the Charles Koch Foundation. So I, I love it when they do this. There's these, like, astroturf groups that fund studies that are like, oh, the fringes are so bad, we should do something to stop them. And mainstream media goes with it all the time because they benefit from this as well. Now, in this case, they're just talking about far left. Now, they go on in the article to stress, hey, far right is more uh, violent and deadly, according to every study. But there's this rising thing on the far left. And we might want to look out for that. And you might want to be careful. And you might want to consider also, here's the implication. You might want to consider treating these kinds of lefties the same as you would treat white supremacists. So... Like, for people who, who do ACAB, All Cops Are Bastards, like, if you ever tweeted that or said that on Facebook or whatever, they're coming for you. They're, and they gave the names of some of the group, Redneck Revolt and Socialist Rifle Association. They brought up, oh, people, people are more likely to endorse property damage, property violence, if they've said things like, we should seize the means of production. Do you see where this is going? And this is why I was screaming every step of the way at the left, stop cheering for censorship and deplatforming of people on the right because you think all your opinions are correct, but there's a lot of people who think you're crazy and who would ban you in a second. And so if you self-describe as a socialist or you self-describe as a communist, God forbid you self-describe as a tanky, If you've ever tweeted something like, all cops are bad, you know, if you've ever talked about seizing the means of production, like, of course they're going to come after you. How could you not see that from the beginning? It kind of drove me crazy when you would see these left-wingers who were like, ah, censor that person, deplatform that person, oh, that goes too far. Oh, yeah, sure, we should totally give Facebook and Twitter the ability and the right to pull down Whatever the hell they want, for any reason whatsoever, it's totally great that mainstream media is teaming up, you know, with all these, these, uh, these social media platforms to do fact-checking and whatnot. No, it's not. It's terrible. Yes, there's a lot of bad right-wing actors out there, and there's a lot of genuinely dangerous beliefs. There's a lot of people who think what you believe is dangerous, too. There is. There's plenty of people who listen to you and be like, you're crazy. You should be banned. You should be deplatformed. You should be censored. So, you know, at some point down the line, will they ban certain hashtags associated with the left? Probably. They'll ban them for the right. They'll ban them for the left. If you're a prominent left-wing leader but you don't fit it neatly into the box of the approved, you know, ideological constraints, look out. You're in trouble. And so we all knew this day was coming. They're doing the whole... Oh, the far left is really bad, too, and really dangerous, too, just like the far right. Hey, something should probably be done about this on social media, don't you think? When you read this article, that's, that's your takeaway. That's what it's supposed to be. Damn, something should be done about that. And then let's, let's sanitize everything in sight. Sanitize everything in sight and have no more free speech anymore. Let's make the world CNN, because that's what they want to do. That's what social media, social media companies want everything that happens on their site. They want no scandals ever. And no scandals means what? Everybody's saying boring stuff 24 7. And there are plenty of people who embrace this in principle when they were cool with banning right wing people for saying messed up stuff, having messed up beliefs. But chickens are coming home in a roost. Don't say I didn't warn you. I was one of the first people to tell you at the very beginning look out. And, you know. They always come after the left. Of course, look at Russiagate. They always, always, always flip it back on the left. They just accuse, like, Jacobin and some left-wing magazines, current affairs. Like, Russia tried to infiltrate them. No, they didn't. There was, like, one email that tried, they tried to get some story run, and they were like, no, we are not going to run it. And they wrote articles about it. Like, ha, ah,
0: Russia infiltrating the left. Ha! Ah.
2: They always wanted to ban and deplatform. platform people who question the status quo. So if you do that, careful what you wish for moving forward. Okay, next. MSNBC is already trying to pawn off blame for a potential Biden loss. They're laying the groundwork in case it happens. And um, you will not be surprised at all to see who's first in line to get blamed.
1: Jeff, uh, if I was Joe Biden and I wanted to win the state of Florida, I would not be taking Bernie Sanders' advice. Uh, Bernie Sanders is the reason uh, why the socialist label has stuck for some voters uh, on Joe Biden. Uh, Bernie Sanders is the reason why a lot of South Florida Hispanics in particular uh, are afraid that the Democratic Party has moved too far to the left, why they're susceptible uh, this messaging from the Trump campaign that they should fear the Democratic Party. That's why Joe Biden has to reintroduce himself and tell these voters, I am a deal maker. I spent decades in the Senate trying to bring Republicans and Democrats together. I was the guy Barack Obama would send to negotiate with Mitch McConnell, I want to bring this country together. I'm not a radical, and nothing in my record indicates that. That's the message that a lot of these Latino voters, people who understandably uh, are concerned uh, with uh, all this talk about socialism because they left their country fleeing those ideas and fleeing those kinds of revolutions. So uh, they need to hear uh, from Joe Biden. They need to know who he is. And when it comes to South Florida Hispanics, at least, if I was Joe Biden, I would not be taking Senator Sanders
2: at both. So it's Bernie's fault that Biden is struggling with Latinos. That's interesting, because I seem to remember this: Biden campaign doesn't consider Latinos part of their path to victory, political operatives say. They made a concerted effort. To reach out to suburbia and older voters. Those are the demographics they were gunning for. You reap what you sow. So now struggling with Latinos, oh, yeah, Bernie, it's Bernie's fault. I think it's Bernie's fault. How on earth is it Bernie's fault? He did really well with Latinos. Really well with them. In fact, he crushed everybody in sight with Latinos. So somehow don't embrace the ideology. Of the guy who's popular with Latinos, because Latinos won't like that. Come again? I, I, I hate this. I hate this. Everything is square peg, round hole in mainstream media. Everything. No matter what the question is, no matter what the conversation is, isn't the left really bad? Isn't Bernie Sanders terrible? Man, these ideas are radical. They call it radical. None of them ever give you the facts or the polling data on these ideas, on these policies. Medicare for All is insanely popular. Free college is insanely popular. A living wage is insanely popular. Ending the wars is insanely popular. All these ideas are super popular. But radical. It's so radical to do exactly what people want you to do. So radical.
0: No, it's not the opposite of
2: radical. It would be mainstream. It would be the definition of mainstream. It's what people want. Uh, uh. I give up, guys. I give up. You know, it stands to reason that if Biden did exactly what Bernie did with the Latino community, reach out to Chuck Rocha, Rocha however you say his name, who was the Latino outreach um, director for Bernie's campaign. Reach out to him, and he'll tell you what to do. My guess is you got to go talk directly to the Latino community, and you got to talk directly to their material interests. Hey, you don't have health care. I'm going to get you health care. <laughs> like, this is politics. Go talk directly to people, see what they want, and then incorporate that and say, this is what I'm going to fight for. But no, it's right. It's blame Bernie, blame Bernie. Somehow blame Bernie, blame Bernie. And by the way, the idea like Specifically to, you know, like the Cuban population in Florida. Have you ever considered that maybe if you pander specifically to the Cuban population in Florida, that that alienates Latinos around the rest of the country? Have you considered that? Because I got news for you. Yes, the Latino population, or I should say the Cuban population in Florida, is the most conservative population, one of the most conservative populations in the country like old white people and then cubans in in florida so if you do things to reach out to them that will alienate a, the larger voter demographic which you need around the rest of the country but this doesn't occur to them it's always the same socialism bad bernie bad you know biden needs to stress his moderate record he's been doing that non-stop Nobody doesn't know that Biden is moderate. Even the Republicans who pretend like he's an extremist deep down know that he's a a corporate Democrat, that he's a moderate Republican, effectively. Like, I love how this guy thinks, I got a brilliant idea. What if Biden told people about his record? Okay, if he actually got into the specifics of his record, nobody would (laughs) like him. (laughs) Patriot Act, which approved NSA spying on all of us. The Iraq War, which is massively, colossally disliked. The outsourcing deals that he signed on for. I mean, the list goes on and on. Don't talk about your record. But listen, he's lucky in the sense that he's the beneficiary of such a terrible incumbent president that he really doesn't have to do anything, and he's like the default leader. So he might luck out in that sense, but I find this concern trolling so grotesque. And by the way, somebody look into the politics of this guy who's talking on MSNBC, because my guess is he's just a right-winger. And so it should come as no surprise to anybody that a right-winger wants Biden to be right wing. He cloaks it in, like, strategically, this is what you should do. But no, really, deep down, he's like, I have these beliefs, so he should mirror what my beliefs are. Yeah, but nobody likes you. Nobody likes you. Nobody asked you, dude. How about that? Okay. Now we're going to, I got some specific polling numbers for you. This is very interesting. It's on war. All right, here we go. So we have some new polling data here from EGF Research. Now, this is on foreign policy. And I love it when I get foreign policy polling data because they almost – like almost none of the polling companies regularly ask questions on foreign policy. And it drives me crazy. Like, I'm literally, when I talk about the Afghanistan war, I have to go all the way back to 2013 for a poll that asked the question in a straightforward way. And that's so long ago. That's so insanely long ago. So, thankfully, now we have uh, some, some new numbers to discuss. Here's uh, some of what they say here. The U.S. has recently ended its participation in the the following international organizations and agreements. Should the U.S. rejoin any of these organizations or agreements? And then you see here, so the Paris Climate Agreement, 70.9% of the country says rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. That is overwhelming. That's amazing. Um, The Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, which is just the Iran peace agreement that we pulled out of and ripped up, and then we sanctioned them, and then we assassinated one of their top generals. Well, it turns out 65.6% of the country says, get back in the Iran deal. Want to know why? Because Americans like peace. Then we have the World Health Organization. 71.1% say, yeah, what are we doing? We've got to get back in the World Health Organization. So what this shows is this establishes that Americans really, really, really prefer diplomacy, communication, negotiation over being a hardliner and really what is effectively an isolationist. Now, I always talk about the difference between isolationism and non-interventionism. I'm committed to non-interventionism. I'm not at all committed to isolationism because isolationism, there's a reason why it has a pejorative connotation. And that reason is it, it, it goes beyond just not militarily intervening in places. It has, like, trade implications. And it has, you know, implications on stuff like this, which I think goes way too far. I think we do need to cooperate with the rest of the world because everybody should be cooperating with the international community. We're literally all in this together. So let me show you the next thing here. Um, where does the American public stand on negotiating with undemocratic adversaries? The majority of Americans reported the U.S. should negotiate. Look at this. Which of the following statements comes closest to your view? The U.S. should negotiate directly with adversaries to try to avoid military confrontation, even if those adversaries are human rights abusers, dictators, or home to terrorist organizations. 59.4% believe that. 40% believe the U.S. should not negotiate directly with adversaries, even if negotiating could avoid military confrontation, so on and so forth. So that 60% are like, yeah, even if you got to negotiate with dictators and you know, terrorist sympathizers. Yes, that's the right thing to do. You want to know why? Because people don't like war. The American people are so reasonable on these things. It's the government that's unreasonable. And why is that? Because of the military industrial complex. Because when you have Boeing and Honeywell and Raytheon and all of these defense contractors giving politicians a lot of money every time they run their campaigns, guess what happens? The politicians get into power And then they give giant contracts to these companies. And then those companies also lobby the government. They want more war. And so we're bombing eight different countries. There's a lot of people making a lot of money from that. And so the government, yes, they're going to continue the cycle of violence. Because there's a lot of jobs tied to it. There's a lot of money made from it. There's a lot of lobbying in favor of war. And so the government doesn't represent you, but the American people have always been on the side of, we prefer peace. All right, so... Now, let me show you the last one here. Do you think American lawmakers should increase, maintain, or decrease our current level of military spending? I love this. So look at the numbers for increased military spending. Now, keep in mind, that's what we do every single year we increase military spending. Every year. Only 30% of Donald Trump's own supporters... Want to increase military spending. Only 13% of Joe Biden supporters say we should increase military spending. And only 14% of others, so like independents, for example, say we should increase military spending. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? So when you put together like maintain the same level and decrease, it's crushing. It's crushing. And for Biden in particular, there's a a strong plurality. For Biden supporters, there's a strong plurality that says decrease it. And I'll even venture a guess that if the American people knew just how much we spend on our military compared to the rest of the world, everybody would say not only cut it, cut it 50%. Like I know that that sounds extreme, but when you look at the numbers, even if we cut it 50%, we'd have the biggest military in the world by far and away. So it's really not extreme. It's actually the more common sense position. And imagine what else you could do with that money here at home. Rebuild our infrastructure, for example, which gets a grade of D+. There's so much we can use that money for. Free college. It only cost $60 billion to do free college when the increase in the military budget just last year was $80 billion. That's the increase in military spending in one year. That's not the military budget. It's the increase in the military budget, and nobody batted an eyelash. But for free college, which is less expensive, everybody's like, "I ain't gonna pay for it!" Oh my God, I got gonna pay! For it. I'm
3: gonna pay for it.
2: So anyway, nobody wants to increase military spending. Nobody, even 30% of of Trump's base says increase it. Just 30%, and this is what happens every single year. So listen, I think these numbers are incredible. And actually, you know what? I'll throw one more at you. I don't have the graphic for this one, but. Um, Which of the following statements comes closer to your view? The President of the United States should be able to order military action overseas without approval from Congress. That's one of them. The other one is, unless the country is under attack, the President of the United States should be required to seek approval from Congress before ordering military action overseas. So, you ready for this? Only 26% of the country says the president should be able to order military actions um, without approval from Congress. Only 26% of the country. So most of the overwhelming majority of the country is like, go through Congress. What are you doing? Like we need checks and balances. We can't just have a unitary authoritarian leader who can wage war for any reason at all. So um, again, this is yet another example. Americans are anti-war. We're just not represented by our government. So, I mean, add this to the list of stuff we've talked about previously. I told you, 2013, the war in, in Afghanistan had like a 13% approval rating or something, ridiculously low. More people hated the war in Afghanistan than the war in Vietnam. And this was all the way back in 2013. Why are we still there? End the war in Iraq. End the war in Afghanistan. Bring our troops home. Get them out of Syria. Stop drone bombing everywhere in sight like Trump did when he increased it 432% over Obama's numbers. (sighs) Unwind the empire, for God's sake, and use that money here at home, because we desperately, desperately need it, and the people are on board. Okay, next. Okay. Democrats are already backpedaling from one of their better ideas. Here we go. Let me set this up for you. So the Democrats are already backing off of one of their few good ideas. The Hill says the following, Democrats back away from quick reversal of Trump tax cuts. I mean, this is so easy. That is such a layup. And they're backing off of it. In the same way, this reminds me of the article we covered where um, insiders for Biden were like, listen, if we get power, we're not going to go for a public option. We'll probably just try to vaguely expand Obamacare a little bit or whatever. Oh, God. So you're starting the negotiation by completely caving off of Medicare for all and off of a public option and going all the way to let's just slightly increase... Obamacare, in which case you'll get slapped down anyway, and, like, you're just pathetic. You're pathetic because, really, they're, they want to represent the health insurance companies just like the Republicans do. So they're fine with getting no real change. Meanwhile, Americans are desperate for change. This reminds me of that story because even something that's supposed to be a layup, like, really? You won't even fight for a public option when that's already the watered-down position? This is a similar thing. The Republican tax law is despised. You want to know why? Because people have realized, oh, this was really just a ruse to give all the money to the rich. Trump massively slashed the corporate tax rate from like 35% to 21%. Cutting corporate taxes makes the heads of the corporations happy. It doesn't make your average Joe and Jane happy. Not at all. 83% of the benefits of that tax bill went to the top 1%. Any tax cuts that apply to people making $75,000 or less, they expire. The tax cuts for the wealthy and the corporations are permanent. And over 10 years, everybody making $75,000 a year or less, there's a net tax increase on you. Isn't that crazy? It's a deeply unpopular law, deeply unpopular. And they're like, yeah, we'll back away from getting rid of that. Yeah, so you're going to back away from raising taxes on the rich is what you're telling me. So now to be fair to them, they do say the following. They say the priority will be to spend to create jobs and raise wages. Let's see if they actually do that. Don't hold your breath. Uh, They want to do investments in green technology and infrastructure and a national plan to contain the coronavirus. And um, some of those stimulus and relief bills could include tax incentives for clean energy infrastructure and Strengthening the Nation's Supply Chain and Domestic Manufacturing. If they actually try to get to do something on domestic manufacturing, I'll give them credit. But again, don't say anything, I'll believe it when I see it type stuff. Um, they say tax relief in the form of child tax credits and the earned income tax credit for lower and middle income families are also on the table. Now, here's the part, let me read you this part from the article, which just, it killed me. I, I mean, this, I was so triggered when I read this. Quote, raising taxes while the country is recovering from a recession would be a risky political move. Democrats realize they need to tread carefully on taxes and the economy. While Biden is leading Trump in the national polls, voters still give Trump higher marks on handling the economy. Yeah, you want to know why? Because you're actually not out there making the argument to raise the minimum wage, to raise taxes on the rich, for example. ...fighting for unions and being open and upfront about that. That's why! Like, they say, oh, it's risky to raise taxes... um, ...you know, during this recession. Yeah, but if you want to raise them on corporations... ...and billionaires and multimillionaires... ...that's not at all risky. That's called incredibly popular. So really, like, it's just excuses. It's excuses to not raise taxes on corporations and on the wealthy, because they also represent corporations and the wealthy. Democrats need to tread carefully on taxes and the economy. It is true that Trump has, you know, he's viewed as better on the economy, but that's only because generic Republicans are viewed better than generic Democrats on the economy, because Republicans have built this brand of, like, the serious numbers people, like the whole Paul Ryan mythology. But, like, if Democrats actually weren't the party of like, I kind of agree with them on stuff, and they argued for left-wing economic ideas, of course Democrats would surpass Republicans on this stuff. But Biden wouldn't argue for left-wing ideas. So he sounds like the neoliberal that he is, and he's not doing as well in the economy. If he wants to do better, say you're going to raise taxes on the wealthy. Say you're going to raise taxes on corporations. That's what you've got to do. Anyway, to back off of this, just says everything about the Democrats. Let's take an issue... Where it is it would be strategically popular for us to do it, and let's also get rid of a horrendous policy which gave away all the money to the billionaires and the wealthy, and they're like, No. Why would we do something that makes so much sense? Let's let's do the opposite. Let's continue to make the wrong decision, therefore pissing people off even more, and convince ourselves at the same time that this is actually brilliant of us to do. It's beyond pathetic. We need a a more biting word than pathetic, because pathetic doesn't do it justice. Okay. Have a little sip of my seltzer, bitch. All right, we're going to talk now. I got some specific numbers on the economy for you, and this is this is a five alarm fire. Five alarm fire, four alarm fire, alarm fire. I don't know what the saying is. Anyway, here we go. The economic devastation brought about by COVID is beginning to reveal itself in stark terms. Um, This is what CNBC says. Yelp data shows 60% of business closures due to the coronavirus pandemic are now permanent, permanent. Yelp on Wednesday released its latest economic average report revealing business closures across the U.S. are increasing as a result of the coronavirus. As of August 31st, 163,735 businesses have indicated on Yelp that they have closed, a 23% increase since mid-July. According to Yelp data, permanent closures have reached 97,966, representing 60% of closed businesses that won't be reopening. This is an aspect of what happened with COVID and the CARES Act that's not discussed nearly enough. But what you're very likely to see happen is as all of these smaller businesses and medium-sized businesses go under, you have the big businesses swoop in and buy them up. So you have this corporate consolidation and this move towards monopolies. Further exacerbating wealth and income inequality, and you have a distinct shift away from small business entrepreneurship and you know people kind of controlling their own destiny and and making a living that way. And you know this is uh, this is not good. This is not good. If you're a small business enthusiast, this should terrify you. Because let me tell you something: these 60% of business closures, yeah, they're they're small businesses. The large ones can weather the storm. The large corporations got bailouts, giant bailouts. The crumbs that went to the smaller businesses not enough for them to weather the storm. And so we're going to see this giant consolidation. And listen, you know, I have there are some big businesses I like, of course, but. I would love it if we still had the option to go to a small business restaurant, for example, you know. And this really is kind of like a death blow to another aspect of what would commonly be called the American dream. 60% of business closures are now permanent. Think about all the lives that were destroyed. Now, as this is going on, I got more for you. The top 1% of Americans have taken $50 trillion from the bottom 90%, and that's made the US less secure. This is not some back of the napkin approximation according to a groundbreaking new working paper by Carter C. Price and Catherine Edwards of the Rand Corporation, had the more equitable income distributions of the three decades following World War II, 1945 through 1974, merely held steady, The aggregate annual income of Americans earning below the 90th percentile would have been $2.5 trillion higher in the year 2018 alone. That is an amount equal to nearly 12% of GDP, enough to more than double median income, enough to pay every single working American in the bottom nine deciles, an additional $1,144 a month. There's your UBI. Every month, every single year. Price and Edwards calculate that the cumulative tab for our four-decade-long experiment in radical inequality had grown to over $47 trillion from 1975 through 2018. At a recent pace of about $2.5 trillion a year, that number we estimate crossed the $50 trillion mark by early 2020. That's $50 trillion that would have gone into the paychecks of working Americans had inequality held constant. $50 trillion that would have built that would have built a far larger and more prosperous economy. $50 trillion that would have enabled the vast majority of Americans to enter this pandemic far more healthy, resilient, and financially secure. So if we have the same amount of income and wealth inequality that we had in what was called the golden age of economic expansion in the United States, working people would be $50 trillion wealthier. So the top 1% has rigged the game and have effectively taken $50 trillion from the bottom 90%. Isn't that incredible? I mean, you go back, how many times have we talked about this on the show, but you go back to like the 1970s, for example, and you get the, the CEO to worker pay ratio. Like the CEO would make like 24 times what the average worker would make. Now that's a big difference. That's a big difference. But, you know, somewhere within the realm of that which is reasonable. You might say, hey, maybe 10 to 1 is more fair or whatever. But that's where we were. Today it's like 300 or 350 to 1. That's the CEO to average worker pay ratio. This is right in line with that kind of a fact. Like, oh, if we just held steady from what we were doing back then, working people would be $50 trillion richer, and you would be able to weather the storm of a pandemic But the economy's rigged. All the money's going to the corporations and the wealthy. And so you're screwed. And so 46% of the country has, quote, serious financial problems. 30-some-odd percent couldn't pay their rent. And this is going back a couple months now. I don't know how else to say this, guys. We need drastic action now. Now. And the two... Things that, that pop up in my mind first are Medicare for All, because everybody deserves health care as a human right, and we're just catching up to the rest of the developed world if you do that, and you get rid of a giant bill, which is a problem for a lot of Americans. Medical bills is one of the top causes of bankruptcy. Take that off the table. Medicare for All for everybody now, and also universal basic income. I mean, there's your UBI right there. It's $1,144 more every month, every year. That's if we just kept the system functioning in the same level of income and wealth inequality uh, as we had during the golden age of economic expansion. Those are the first two things that pop in my mind. And now we need it more than ever. I mean, listen, we got to learn from history, learn from what FDR did with the New Deal. Yes, we could do a green New Deal, emphasis on the New Deal part, create millions of, you know, good paying jobs that are in renewable and green energy and technology, definitely can do that, rebuild our infrastructure all across this country, make it an A+. But we need Medicare for all, and we need UBI. We have to radically change the country because we can't keep going like we're going right now. And if this article is true, and I think it is, that is effectively the 1% robbing all working people in this country, and they've been doing it your entire life, your whole life. Because some people will listen to when we talk about UBI, they'll look at it as like, ah, it's welfare, you're getting something that you're not owed. Wrong. The welfare has always cut in the other direction. It's working people giving welfare to the wealthy. There is class war in this country, and it's waged by the rich on working people. All the rules are rigged in their favor. When... When corporations and wealthy individuals give money to the politicians and then the politicians turn around and give them giant subsidies and giant bailouts, that's welfare. That's the thing that you're supposed to be against. That's money for absolutely nothing. It's the corrupt system. That's what that is. And so when one of us says, hold on, I want to eliminate that welfare and I just want to give the people what they're owed. If you want to just give the people what they're owed... Working people got 50 trillion coming now, don't they? Give us Medicare for all. We got to do a UBI. I like the way Andrew Yang frames it when he says, "What does he call it? Freedom dividend? Something along those lines." Like, the idea is, no, you're you're a stakeholder in America. That's what you are. So in the same way that if you own a blue chip stock, you get paid. If you, you're born in America, you're an American citizen. There's a freedom dividend, there's an American payment. It's social security for all, that's more my framing than his framing, that part, but yes, you're part of this country. You're not getting anything you weren't owed. This is part of the deal. And if anything, the wealthy and the corporations have been robbing this country blind for decades, ever since they started allowing money in politics. And so it's time to get back what we're owed. And this is unacceptable. And we need to look in the mirror and and, and ask ourselves, are we really okay with this? Are we really okay with 60% of businesses closing due to the coronavirus and it staying like that? Are we really okay with corporations consolidating and monopolies popping up and controlling markets and then jacking up prices and screwing people along the way and paying people crap? Are we really okay with that? Are we okay with the system continuing to be rigged in favor of the wealthy? I'm certainly not. We know the answers. We just have to fight for them and get them implemented. I really think the only way is a general strike. Because politicians aren't going to listen to us unless we make them listen to us. And the best way to do that is to cut off their money. How do you cut off their money? Stop working. But we all got to do it. We all got to get out there. We have to have a clear list of demands. And this is the only way we succeed. Because divided, we're definitely going to fall. Because we've been divided all along. And look at what they've been doing to us. Okay. So here's a story that should absolutely break your heart. This mom is facing 27 years in prison after officials say she lied about her residence to get her three kids 10 care that resulted in the state paying $24,000 in fees and claims. So let me explain what that means. 10 care is Medicaid. It's Tennessee's Medicaid, she, this mom made a little too much money to qualify for Medicaid, but she falls exactly in the gap that we've talked about before on this show. If you're really poor, you can get health care through Medicaid. If you're old, you get it through Medicare. If you're a veteran, you get it through the VA. But if you're a working person, many working people get it through their jobs, but some don't. And some are in this weird position where they're not poor enough to get Medicaid, but they're still poor, and they can't really afford to pay for their health care, and they don't get it through their job. So what do those people do? A lot of them are screwed, and a lot of these people are the ones who go bankrupt from medical bills. So what did this woman do? She was like, okay, she lived in Mississippi, but she's like, I guess she's close to Tennessee, and she's like, I'm going to just try to get Medicaid through Tennessee and I guess it required a little bit of lying about where she lived or the numbers of what she made or whatever, but she was caught, and because effectively they got, you know, the kids got $24,000 worth of health care, they're now trying to throw the book at her. They say uh, 10-care fraud is a Class D felony and theft of property of over $10,000, but under $60,000 is a Class C felony. So, yes, she faces up to 27 years in prison. A lot of people are saying, well, she won't actually get all of that. The crime, the thing that is illegal here is trying to get health care. That's what's considered illegal. That's what's considered theft of property is trying to get health care for her kids. Do you realize how insane this is? Do you realize how this looks to the rest of the developed world? You go show this story to somebody in Canada or Australia or the U.K. They'll be like, huh? You're going to lock up a woman who has three kids because she committed the crime of trying to get her kids health care. By the way, why would she do this? Why would she do this? Because she can't afford it. If she could pay for it and afford it, she would have done it. But she can't pay for it and afford it, so she had to try to do something, and this is what she came up with. Is there anything you wouldn't do to get your kids' health care? That's my question for you. If you're a good person, if you're a moral person, if you're an ethical person, presumably you'd be like, I'll do anything to get my kids' health care. This is like the classic thing that's brought up in philosophy class. Um, is it ever moral to steal? And then the example people give is, you've got a sick kid, and they need medicine, and you don't have the money. But you can get it from the pharmacy do you get it you take it can you can you do it would you do it is that the right thing to do everybody says yes so it's like well obviously we value human life a lot more than we value property rights for something where perhaps it shouldn't even be considered property it should be totally socialized there are certain things that should be off the table military cops fire department infrastructure health care Faces up to 27 years in prison because she wanted to get her kids health care because she couldn't afford it. This country is cruel, man. I'm sorry. This is as cruel as it gets. What do you do in a situation where the real criminals is the system? The real criminals are the status quo. Like, the system should be indicted here. The system is criminal. She didn't do anything wrong. She didn't do anything wrong at all. If, you know, honestly, the left should hold this woman up and make this a huge story. Because this is just so, this proves everything we've ever said about our system when it comes to health care. This is such a no-brainer. And the American people agree. Now the polls are like 69% or something like that, favor Medicare for all. That's a lot. It's gone up, 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 and up. Why? Because there's a pandemic and tens of millions of people don't have health care or lost their health care. People are terrified of going bankrupt because they got sick. This is the system we live in. People get it, man. The only people who don't get it, the politicians. And why don't the politicians get it? Because they're taking money from the for-profit health insurance companies. That's why. Because they're corrupt. They're corrupt. They're representing the interests of big pharma and the for-profit health insurance companies. Free this woman. I'd argue, if anything, she's a hero. We need Medicare for all. This system is as cruel as it gets. Honestly, when I, when I read this story... It feels the same as, like, reading about apartheid or something. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not trying to make the connection because of race. What I'm saying is apartheid was obviously egregiously evil. Segregation was obviously egregiously evil. This is on the same moral plane as that. Potentially 27 years in prison because you wanted to get your kids health care because you couldn't afford it. Just get the hell out of here. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's the most immoral and unethical thing I've ever heard. The year is 2020, and it's like we're reading something from, you know, feudal lords or or back in the day. Or some crazy dictator who's chopping people's heads off or whatever. That's how egregious this sounds. And this should be the biggest story in the country. The media should be talking about this nonstop. But you're not going to hear about it in in many places except left-wing outlets. And that's a goddamn shame. We need to adjust our priorities, guys. This is unacceptable. All right, final story of the day, guys. Here we go. So Charlie Kirk weighed in on what a Biden presidency could look like. And uh, to say the least, he doesn't seem satisfied.
1: Those of you that say, well, it really doesn't impact me. I don't care if Trump goes to prison. Well, first of all, you absolutely should care. Because if we lose, they're going to come after the churches They're going to come after the organizations, they're going to come after the people, they're going to come after the social media accounts, they're going to come after the bank accounts, they're going to come after every single person that played any form and role into trying to defend President Trump. But social media banning, following in the streets, targeting in every form and fashion, if we lose, if the President loses, they will come for us all. They will come for your children, they will come for your schools, they will come in every fashion.
2: Counterpoint, nobody's coming for you. <laughs> Come on, Charlie. Listen, I know Charlie because I had that debate with him, and so I always feel weird. And this is why I like to kind of always be away from the political scene and be, like, off in my own universe, because I feel like that allows me to be more objective. When you meet these people, then obviously you get to know them in a different kind of way, and when you realize that a lot of these people who you ideologically disagree with are actually really kind and nice backstage, it makes you feel weird about if you want to go off and be like, what you said is dumb and I don't agree with it. So I try my best to maintain my objectivity and stay away. Obviously it was impossible because Charlie and I had that debate. Um, so none of, this, none of what I'm about to say here is personal at all. It's ideological. And what I would say is, Charlie, man, if you're saying this about Joe Biden, there's literally not a single Democrat on the planet you wouldn't say it about. So in any word, in other words, any generic Democrat, fill in the blank, and it's like, oh, my God, our hair's on fire. They're going to come for us. They're going to come for your kids. They're going to come for your family.
4: It's going to oh tell my God. And
2: it's like, in order to make that case, you have to disregard everything we know about Joe Biden already. Joe Biden voted for the Iraq War. Joe Biden voted for the Patriot Act. Joe Biden supported various outsourcing deals, also known as free trade deals. Joe Biden, he was even at one point for like a balanced budget amendment, and he was in favor of some GOP budgets in the 90s. Joe Biden w- wanted to work with Republicans to cut social security. His whole career has been defined by, like, bipartisanship and reaching across the aisle and having these friends. That's his whole career. If you look at this guy and say, oh, my God, he's a radical. and The left is going to come after us under his administration. Then you're just denying empirical reality. And it's like they're copying and pasting. Like, they had, they had all their talking points ready for Bernie to be the nominee. And then when he wasn't the nominee, they're still using the same – they're still acting like Biden is Bernie or whatever. And it's just, it comes across as so disingenuous and so over the top and so ridiculous. And it's not, here's the most important point, it's not going to land with people. Like, this is why there was a poll that came out recently where they asked voters specifically about the law and order stuff that Trump has been leaning into. And voters overwhelmingly think Biden is better on law and order issues than Trump. Why? Because Biden's out there doing the standard regular schmegular presidential stuff trying to calm tensions and not pour fuel on the fire, and Trump's doing the exact opposite. So how are you going to say under Biden, oh, my God, you're not going to be safe or any of this stuff? Dude, he went out of his way to give a speech to be like, riding and looting is bad, and I am against it. That's what I am. And you're going to look at this guy and act like under him there's going to be some insane Antifa commie uprising, and they're going to come for your kids, oh, my God. No, they're not. You know what's going to happen under Biden? Biden is a representative of the status quo. Now, that in and of itself is a criticism that somebody could make of Biden. But this is not the criticism Charlie Kirk is making. The criticism is not establishment, status quo, business as usual, back to the Obama years effectively or or the Bill Clinton years. That's not the criticism. The criticism is hair on fire. They're coming for us. And it's like an existential threat if Biden wins. It's an existential threat to the left. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, Trump winning is an existential threat to the left as well. But yeah, like solidifying another four years or eight years of neoliberal corporate rule of the Democratic Party. So it's just it's amazing to me that they don't adjust based on the reality. They don't look at Biden and fairly assess him. It's all the same talking points over and over. And you could see the same strategy that was used under Obama, where they were acting like this guy's some sort of extremist. Meanwhile, Obama, arguably, is like the most successful Republican president ever. Yeah, I just said that. I mean, look, even just his health care bill. That was Romney care. That was, you know, from the Heritage Foundation, the individual mandate system. Newt Gingrich, Chuck Grassley, all these Republicans supported this kind of a plan. Obama implemented it. He made like 90% of the Bush tax cuts permanent this is Republican presidential stuff, man. That's what this is. And Obama even said, I view myself as like a moderate Republican of the 80s. But they don't, they don't care about what's really the case. They don't care that the Republican Party is far right and the Democratic Party is center right. They're still going to act like, you know, Biden's some sort of anarchist lover. <laughs> the guy who wrote the crime bill and locked too many people up and was too tough on crime. You're not going to successfully argue that you know look out republicans are in physical danger if he wins it's actually ridiculous that they make these arguments so who was it somebody said something that was like if only the democratic party was the democratic party that republicans think they are then i'd be a very happy person all right and on that note y'all i love you baby everybody stay safe I will talk to you soon. Enjoy the rest of your week. I'm out. Peace.
4: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com.